love you now, and I'll love you forever. No goodbye. There's only love. Mark Wahlberg as Bobby Shatford, The Perfect Storm, based on a novel by the same name by Sebastian Younger. He's kind of crazy, she's a little insane. Keeping energy really messes with his brain. One is the forest, the other's husband is dead. That's why it's so all messed up in the head. It's a Silver Linings Playcast. Oh yeah. Hello everybody and welcome to Silver Linings Playcast, the only podcast that I know that's devoted to Silver Linings Playbook, the movie, and the Silver Linings Playbook, the book. This is our second week of doing fan fiction that's been written in the Silver Linings Playbook universe, extended universe, I guess, is what it's called. Uh, These are not necessarily good. They're not necessarily real or authorized at all. Uh, They're simply the weekly exploits of the characters from my favorite book and movie that go on um, that I've written so we can find out the following adventures. This one is especially terrible, but uh, let's get started now. All right. This is just uh, an excerpt from uh, what will be, uh, I I don't know what number it is in the Silver Linings Playbook series, Um, but it takes place a number of years after a Silver Linings Playbook. I believe 12 to be certain. Anyway, this is a chapter uh, called Pat's Fishing Trip. It was a cool autumn morning. Pat and his son, Ethan, who is now 11, loaded up their truck and headed to the pier. The father and son were going to spend the next eight glorious hours deep-sea fishing. Ethan had been born two years after Pat and Tiffany got married. Pat had hoped their son would have an Italian name, or more accurately, his father, Patrizio Salatano, had hoped his grandson would have a good Italian name. But Tiffany had her heart set on one of the most popular names for boys that year Ethan was born and Pat had his heart set on making his wife happy. They were all happy, and today was no exception. Ethan didn't like deep-sea fishing, but he was excited to spend time with his father. Ever since Pat had taken a new job with a public relations firm based out of New York City, he found himself traveling for work far more often than he'd liked over the last year, and weekends at home with his son had become highly prized reprieves from the stress of his fast-paced work. It was dark when Pat and Ethan arrived at the dock. They met their charter guide and another couple of middle-aged men who would be joining them. Don't forget the sunblock, said Pat. I know, Dad, replied Ethan. Your mother doesn't want me bringing back a tomato. She's expecting some big fish, pal. (laughs) That's so stupid. Ethan charged ahead to the boat, with Pat following not far behind. He was about to get to the vessel when a mysterious figure emerged from the shadows. Ethan was startled and jumped back, stopping in his tracks to face the shadowy man. I, uh, beware the calm, said the figure. Good morning, said Ethan. Listen, buddy, we're just about to, Pat said as he darted to catch up with Ethan, positioning himself just in front of his son. The shadowy man raised the hood of his cloak he was wearing. Wind, winds blow, winds blow, winds blow, the man said in a rhythmic, chanting cadence. Come on, Pat said. He grabbed Ethan by the shoulder and pulled him to start walking towards the boat. Wind blows, 
the figure said louder now. Wind blows. Do you need money? Asked Pat. He pulled out a stack of money from his pocket and counted out a few bills. No money, said the figure. The sea demands a sacrifice or nets will be drawn as empty as they are cast. (laughs) Whatever you say, said Pat. Ethan and Pat turned away once more and continued to walk to the boat. As they walked away, the voice of the shadow man could be heard trailing off as they walked. Wind blows east, wind blows west. Death for the living and damned are the rest. Who was that? Ethan asked his dad. Probably just someone who started drinking a little too early this morning, said Pat. He talked funny said Ethan. Don't worry about him, said Pat. I'm sure he'll be fine. Now let's go catch some fish. The two boarded the boat and got ready for a fun day. It was 8.55. Pat and Ethan stood at the front of the boat, which had cast off 45 minutes earlier. The crisp morning air blew in their faces, and the sun had risen but was still hanging low in the sky, casting a warm glow over the horizon. The two looked out at the water, Ethan could see the ripples of the ship wake as they continued to their destination. How much longer? asked Ethan. Not too much further, said Pat. You have to be patient. All the best fishing is out in the deep water. I'm bored, said Ethan. My phone doesn't have any signal. We're too far out, said Pat. Enjoy the nature. Fishing is about getting away from civilization. I miss civilization, said Ethan. Captain Maddox, the former Braves pitcher, joined Pat and Ethan at the bow. Gents, this morning is a beaut, said Captain Maddox. Fine day you picked. It sure is, said Pat. We should be to the spot in about ten minutes, said Captain Maddox. Should be perfect conditions. We did see there is a slight chance there could be some storms later in the day. But even if it happens, see, at Premier DC Ventures, we'll make sure to make it up to you. What's that? Ethan exclaimed excitedly. He pointed out at some large ripples and a huge silhouette that was visible under the water. Well, I'll be, said Captain Maddox. Looks like a whale. That's awesome, said Ethan. Pay for fishing, said Captain Maddox, and we'll throw in a free whale-watching tour as well, he laughed to himself and walked back to the back. The boat arrived at its intended fishing spot, and everyone on board excitedly prepped to begin the day's fishing. Pat set Ethan up in his spot, and they began. What's the difference between a ship and a boat? asked Ethan. You should probably ask the captain, said Pat. Yank. The fishing line had, the two had just grew taunt and started to move around swiftly in the water. We already got one, Ethan said. One of the two fishermen on the boat looked over jealously. Save some fish for us, he joked. Now comes the delicate part, Pat told Ethan. Bringing the fish in is like a battle. We need to wear it out and make it want to give up. We'll let it think we're going to be able to escape. But each time we let the line out and pull it in, we let a little bit less out each time. Before you know it, he'll be ours. 
The two Salatanos spent about three minutes carefully maneuvering their line, gently coaxing the fish towards the boat. The line passed through Ethan's hands and started unreeling at a breakneck speed. I'm losing it, Ethan yelled at Pat. Pat grabbed the line and helped Ethan center himself. They pulled together. You need to finesse it, said Pat, slow and gentle. The two slowly pulled the line in, hand over hand, until the pointed nose of a beautiful Atlantic blue marlin could be seen in a hazy outline just below the surface of the water. The fish swam and fought, avoiding breaking the plane of the water surface, as if its very life depended on it, and it very much did. We got one, Pat yelled to the others on the boat. Captain Maddox ran over to the edge of the boat and helped bring in the 210-pound fish. The three of them wrestled it to the deck, where it flopped around, flailing in a last-ditch effort to save itself, until Pat plunged a knife into the belly of the creature, ending the battle. She's a beaut, said Captain Maddox. There was a moment of quiet, victorious reflection, as the three stood and admired the first spoils of their day. Boom. The sound of a lone bolt of lightning cracking rang across the sky. Pat looked up and saw gray clouds had moved in from where clear blue had been only moments before. Looks like we're out of luck, gents, said Captain Maddox. Lest you have something to show for it. The boat turned around and set a course for what would take them back home. Thirty minutes later, the seas were getting rough and the tiny ship was tossed. Pat, Ethan, and the other two fishermen, Captain Maddox and his assistant, were huddled inside the boat as the storm, which seemed to have appeared out of nowhere, impeded a speedy return to land. How much longer until we get back? said Ethan. My equipment seems to have lost connection with the navigational systems, said Captain Maddox. But we usually fish an hour and a half offshore. We should only have another hour back. Pat watched Captain Maddox wipe some water from his brow and couldn't tell if it was sweat or simply water from the storm. The group continued for what felt like three hours, though it might have only been a matter of minutes. They were all getting disoriented being on the water, with no visible terrain features. It was impossible to tell where they were specifically, or how much progress they were making. They had to trust the captain. It was probably another half an hour later, when a great splash of water rained down on the side of the boat, a giant object emerged from the ocean, launching straight into the air and blocking out what little sun was still visible behind the gray cloud cover. It's a whale, screamed Ethan, with a mix of excitement in seeing the creature up close, but terrified that it looked like it could crash into the ship. Moments passed as the massive whale made its way through the air. The sheer mass made the tiny boat feel like a skyscraper was crashing down on it. Hold on yelled Captain Maddox. Everyone on the boat braced for impact as the whale slammed into the boat with the full force of a locomotive. The world went black. It was 77 degrees and sunny. The sound of distant seagulls crying, far off, awakened the unconscious Pat. Pat lifted his head off the sandy beach that his aching body found itself lying face down on. His clothes were still damp and tattered, and the moisture on his face caused the sand that he was lying in to stick to it. He let out a cough and tried to stand, but was disoriented and immediately fell back down to the ground. Ethan? Pat cried out hoarsely. Ethan! 
The bright sun glared in Pat's eyes, and his brain was slow to process what his eyes were seeing. He scanned the beach. He was lying on what looked like a deserted tropical coast. There were no signs of civilization, and a forest of exotic trees and plants too thick to see through formed a wall of foliage a few hundred meters in front of him. Pat slowly got to his feet, and his coordination began to return. His head was still ringing, and it's likely he had a concussion. Ethan! Pat called out again. Captain Maddox! The bright sun cast a warm glow over Pat and the beach, but a chill ran through his body as he realized he did not recognize where he was, and panic set in at not being able to see his son anywhere. Pat started to run around, slowly at first, and then picking up his pace to a frantic jog, matching the increasing speed of his pulse. His heart felt like it could beat right out of his chest as his anxiety grew. Ethan! Pat yelled at the top of his lungs. The only response was the silence of solitude and the ambient sounds of tropical paradise that was proving to be more of a hell than heaven. Pat continued to search the coast, but to no avail. His panic was now subsiding into sadness. Fearing the worst, Pat fell to his knees and cried. The salt of his tears that streamed down his face into his mouth were an ironic reminder of the ocean water that had put him in this predicament. It was at that moment that Pat's memories began to return. Not a full recollection of the preceding events at first, but small snippets offering clues as to how and why he now found himself alone in a mysterious land. Uh, we were on a ship, Pat thought to himself. A boat, a fishing, sh the, the storm. A sharp pain pierced Pat's right side. He reached down and found, felt his rib cage, which shifted slightly under the light pressure of his careful touch. The bones under his flesh made a faint crackling sound, and pain so intense that it almost caused him to pass out emanated through his whole body. He held up his hand and saw the coagulated blood stained his palm. He was injured, but the state of the blood indicated that he would have, that what was recent, but no longer fresh. How long had he been out? Minutes? Hours? Days? It was hard to tell. The weather that had left Pat in this condition was nowhere to be seen, and without any frame of reference, there was no way to tell how long it had been since it had left him there, let alone where he was. Excelsior, Pat said to himself, rubbing his face and trying to shake off his fears. I, I can't let myself lose it now, he thought. I'm here. I'm alive. I need to take care of myself and survive so I can find Ethan. Pat thought back to his early days of boy scouting. Patrizio had not been much of an outdoorsman himself, but had wanted his sons to attend Boy Scouts so as to develop a basic understanding of nature and fieldcraft. As Pat started to collect himself and gather his thoughts, he began to walk around, more casually, carefully investigating his surroundings for any clues about where he might be. Where the hell am I? Pat said aloud to himself. Trope Island? He didn't recognize any of the features. It looked far too exotic and tropical to be any beach he'd ever seen in New Jersey. But they had been traveling on a tiny commercial fishing boat. There was no way he could have wound up any of the places he looked like where he was. Where was he? Excelsior, he said to himself, quieter now.
I need to decide if I'm going to focus on rescue or survival. I don't need to focus on survival. They'll, they'll come search for me. Tiffany, Tiffany will call the police when we don't come home. Uh, if it's the same day, I don't, I don't know. Maybe she already has. Pat was feeling more optimistic. He knew that his and Tiffany's was an immeasurable love and that they would see each other again. They'd been through so much already, and this would not be the last stand of Pat. Pat worked tirelessly digging a 20-foot SOS in the sand, which could easily be spotted by low-flying aircraft. Next, he started to gather some wood. He needed to make a rescue signal, and if in the worst-case scenario, he might need a fire if he was to stay warm overnight, but no, he was getting ahead of himself. Someone would come for him sooner. They only traveled 90 minutes out to sea. After turning around, there was no way that he reasoned he could be further than half an hour from New Jersey. What seemed like hours passed. Pat finished his SOS and built a small fire. He kept some damp wood nearby to fuel a smoke-producing flame should a ship pass. The sun was starting to set, and Pat continued to echo his mantra, Excelsior, to himself to keep his spirits up. So they didn't find him immediately. It would be tomorrow, maybe even later that night. He sat down, exhausted, next to his fire, and looked out at the water. The sun was a pretty crimson as it continued to slowly sink below the horizon. This would actually be a beautiful place to visit if I came here on purpose, he thought. He let his mind wander. He was no longer lost in his fear. Maybe it was his optimism, or simply his mind was exhausted to worry from the day's toiling. Pat fell back on his back into the sand, stared at the sky, and let out a deep exhale. Excelsior. Deep in the depths of the jungle, a blood-curling roar rang out, guttural, deep, and so loud it felt like it caused a minor earthquake. Pat shot up and was on high alert. The roar rang out again. That sounded too big to be a bear or any creature that Pat could identify. He stood up and faced the woods that were now dark. Only a small patch of the woods forest illuminated by the firelight could be seen shining like a warm door into a shadowy land. Pat tasted the flavor of salt in his mouth again, but this time from perspiration, not from tears. His stomach tensed and his pulse pounded. The fear returned. This was a new fear. Not the abstract existential dread of isolation or questions of fate. No, this was something more immediate and terrifying. This was a different kind of fear. One that Pat hadn't experienced since childhood. He heard the loud roar again, still distant, but clearly closer than it had been the first two times. Pat tensed and stared into the darkness. He was not alone. To be continued. All right, that does it for this week. Uh, tune in next week and every other week to find out what happens to Pat on his fishing trip, or we will skip around in the Silver Linings Playbook Extended Universe and tell other stories featuring the characters from Silver Linings Playbook, the movie, and the Silver Linings Playbook, the book. Until next time, we 
Thank you for listening. We will see you down the road and Excelsior. He's kind of crazy. She's a little insane. Keeping energy really messes with his brain. One is the forest. The other's husband is dead. That's why it's so messed up in the head. It's a Silver Linings Playcast. Oh yeah.